see trees of green Red roses too I see them bloom For me and you And I think to myself Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Welcome to the Art Box. How are you at our third interview today? I know. It's been a quite a long day, but a wonderful day. So, and Paula's here. Hi. Hi, Paula. And Paula is... I met Paula on this uh, this project, the Land Art Project. And we went to... Oh, yeah. Paula's one of the ones who stayed with Lois and I. Who else? It was you, me, Lois, and someone else where everybody else had gone back to the cars because it was too cold. <laughs> I was one of the ones that went back to the car, and I am happy with my decision. <laughs> it was really windy. It was windy, but Paula's getting her drone up there. Yeah, it was blowing around pretty well, but it was such a fun mystery. I wanted to figure it out. Where was this thing? Could we find it? So well, Anyway, we're at the barrack today, and Paul's coming in our last interview, and they're going to be trying to kick us out of here in a half hour, so yes. we'll, we'll, we'll talk away. Paul, what did you think about the exhibit? I guess this is the first you've seen, or have you been sneaking in here? No, haven't seen it. I was one of the first ones to drop stuff off, so I just saw a couple pieces, and that's it. So I love it. looks great. Yeah, Steve and I got here early this morning just to help them with some final touches, and yeah, it's amazing to see how it all came together. Yeah, it looks great. Paul, besides that you're an expert drone pilot <laughs> and artist, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My background's in environmental microbiology, and I actually worked here at UNLV, actually in the same building on the second floor, for years. And I was here for about 18 years, and then um, also teaching at the college level during that time. And then I left and went and taught at, or I'm teaching at a middle and high school right now, teaching science. I love science. And at a high school, is that good? Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, Do the kids come in and they want to be in your class and they're excited? Yep. Absolutely. I've got live animals. We do lots of labs and hands-on stuff. So you love that kind of stuff. Now, just judging from your Facebook, because we're Facebook friends. Yeah. And also, you've introduced me to people from as far away as Lincoln City, Oregon, and in California. Yep. Robin and... Wick, yeah. Yeah, Robin and Wick. Yeah, so we have this whole... Six things of Kevin Bacon going here. Oh. Yeah. So I met Robin and Wick working on the Mount Charleston Visitor Center project. So when they wanted to build the visitor center, they wanted to know what was happening on the Spring Mountain science-wise. So I went and interviewed scientists and found out, like, who's working on what? What kind of things were they interested in? What did they know? And uh, Robin was the art person for the project. So we met during that. And they do some interesting stuff. And I, I've, I've interviewed them. Over the phone. That's great. And I know, Paula, you and I 
overlap through one person, mm-hmm. and that's AJ, who's an archaeologist, and it was kind of funny. Um, Facebook brings people together, I guess, and, yep. and we ended up having the same friends, and I invited her to this exhibition and overlap even one of Carsonites that we have up on the wall there. It came up from the company that she's working with. I was able to run over there and grab that, so it's neat to see everybody working together, especially with your background in biology and science and then the archaeology, and, and now we're pulling that together into art, which I think is really fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up being and doing artwork and and being part of this project? Um, It started through public lands protection. Part of my passion is protecting public lands and being involved with that. I have a friend, uh, Checo Salgado, that had done a few art shows and he was pulling one together. I helped just put together the graphics for the brochure. He was doing another show and he said, well, why don't you put some of your pictures in? And I'm like, no, I'm not an artist. I'm not a photographer. No, no, I just like to take pictures. He goes, no, no, put it in. It would be great. That kind of spurred me to share my interest with public lands with others. For this exhibit, during COVID, right before COVID hit, I had gotten a drone. The dry lake bed is actually pretty close to my house. So I would go out there and fly because there's not much to hit. It's open, you know, (laughs) and so I could practice and get better. I was Googling the dry lake bed. I'm like, oh my gosh, Heiser did some work out here. That's crazy. I should try and do something like with the designs, kind of like he did with the tracks. And then somebody sent me the call for this just probably like a week later and said, did you see that they're doing a call for uh, land art? And I'm like, well, that's just incredible. I was planning to do something anyway. So yeah, so I had done some more research on his work out there and kind of what he did and um, was interested in seeing if there was ways that you could do things on a bigger scale without actually disrupting the environment. Because I have kind of this love-hate thing for land art. I, I think it's really cool. I love it. I love the, the scale of it. But then I'm like, ooh, but what about the little critters that were there, the plants that might have been disturbed? So I kind of go back and forth a little bit on it. Uh, the piece that I did was putting out different types of materials at different lengths. Uh, one's 130 feet, the other's 185 feet. And um, it's just basically like cloth on the ground and you use kind of landscape nails to put it in and then you pull it up when you leave and you don't leave you can see maybe where the nail hole was but you know it's on the playa you can just the rain will change it the next time and you won't even notice it so and then I got to use the drone too so I took the photos with the drone and I thought it would be easy but it was actually harder than I thought because it's really windy out there all the time (laughs) all the time time. and then you know you want the perfect sunset so you get everything set up and then sunset comes and it's a dud and you're like oh you know gotta go do it again so you spend a lot of time on the on the lake bed yep and my husband's so glad that I'm done and (laughs) because he helped me with everything (laughs) I'm like let's go out there he goes I think it's too windy oh it's fine and of course it's too windy yeah I've been out there about four times for different projects Mm -hmm. and this last one I did I work with the OHV community quite a bit and they just had the mint 400 race that was around the Jean dry lake and I went out with Tread Lightly to do some post-race cleanup. It was windy. Yep. Right? It yep. was every single time. Windy, windy, windy. So I'm sure he's glad to be done with that. Yep. It's nice, though, seeing it over the course of the six months or so that I started going out. Well, actually, probably a year that I started going out there. So I've seen it completely full too with water and the little tadpole shrimp that are in there and there's little bivalves that come in later just to see the diversity over time and it doesn't always look the same you think oh it's just this 
apply it. It's always the same, but it feels different depending on how much moisture has been in the air and whether it's dusty or not. And it's, it's really a neat place. I love it now. Yeah. So take us back to little Paula. Oh. When did Paula first start doing art? Did, 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 your, did your parents help? Did they push that or encourage you? My dad's an engineer. He was always making stuff. He restored cars for fun. He was making stuff. And my mom always did art around the house. She did calligraphy. She did toll painting. So we always did, you know, things like that. I would say more crafts. I was a craft person, you know, um, as a little kid. So I kind of like the word like maker now better than artist because I feel like artist comes with baggage you know <laughs> don't I have to be like sad and tortured soul or something to be an artist but like a maker you're just making something so <laughs> have to be a tortured soul <laughs> but there was a time but you didn't need to be a tortured soul to be a great artist no no but I always like making something it's fun showing people the landscape in a different way I first started droning in the area that's a proposed national monument too to try and get people interested in the area because a lot of that area um isn't accessible for most people with most vehicles and so they don't know what it looks like they don't know how beautiful it is in some of these areas so we were trying to gather some images to try and get gain people's interest and that may very well right now be a national monument i have you heard any news since you came he's not going to do it right now he's going to do it later he's not going to do it it was supposed to be tomorrow right today or tomorrow i heard today yeah he's not he's it's on delay we recorded this on March 14th, and just to update, yesterday, March 21st, President Biden designated Avigua May as Nevada's fourth and newest national monument. Congratulations, Avigua May. Well, that project I started working on in 2013 oh. to make that monument. Lynn Davis, who was with the National Parks Conservation Association, started working on it then. And I was working on the Walking Box project. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. To not have it go yet. Waiting. It's and, been a long time. And the monument we're talking about that you're working on is Avicua May. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that'll be our newest national monument soon. Yeah. Yes. And that's Spirit of the Land went along with that as well yes yeah and Checo I know Checo he yeah. took my photo for something else yeah I, I worked with Checo on a project in Gold Butte Gold Butte yep yeah. mm-hmm. it was Desert Companion I had like a interview thing in there yeah. so he came out to Valley of Fire with me to do some photography and he won't know who I am but I remember him yeah <laughs> so he and then Julian Kilk Kilker, who's a professor here at UNLV. The three of us have a lot of projects that we kind of work on together, and it's nice because the three of us, we each have kind of a different viewpoint and a different skill set. We're with the Friends of Basin Arrange, and we've been doing some interviews and with um, a sheep herder up there that has some rights to graze his sheep on the land. Yep. So, so I was involved in uh, the Basin Arrange early on yeah Yeah. and um i did the archaeology side of it so when they needed somebody to interview to talk about the area resources the blm and stuff couldn't so i could do that and i was privileged to be able to go for the monument signing nice i was able to be there for that that's so so great yeah Yeah. that's awesome and that's another place where people don't understand don't understand and if you can somehow give context and it and it can be dangerous if you go in the wrong car, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're getting into, you haven't looked at maps ahead of time, 
Yeah. yeah. But you're making it publicly accessible. If you can take that drone footage and other things yeah. and, and make that available, then people understand the impact monument designation can make or, you know, just setting it aside to not have development or varieties of development. Yeah. <laughs> right. So while we're talking about Basin Range, then let's talk about uh, Michael Heisner mm-hmm. and the city. Yeah. Um, it was Jake telling me the other day, I guess, that that's open now. Mm-hmm. It's been open for a while. Yep. And for $400, you can take a tour? Yep. And I have not been there yet. Checo and Julian both got a chance to go, but I didn't get a chance to go yet. What do you think about that? Well, it's his, his property that he purchased, and he's always had kind of the grander, almost a, on a big, such a huge scale, archaeological huge scale. You know, I think of like the Mayan temples or Egyptian pyramids or something like that. So if this was his dream to do it, he's done it. That's great. But I, I don't think we can all, at this time, we can't all go out and do big projects like that and destroy what we have left. It's kind of neat because, well, what was negative at one point, nobody really cared about Nevada. Now makes it so we have a lot of really special places that are still pretty pristine and large tracts of land. And when you go east, when you go into eastern United States, when you get into Europe, you don't have big tracts of land like this. This is really unique, and we need to be able to preserve these and keep them for future generations. It's not just about my kids. It's about generations after generations from from now. Yeah, we're so lucky. We are. Especially in Nevada and the West, Western United States. And and I'm from Alaska, and so we still have those big open spaces. But again, being able to get into the interior or understanding what that was like is challenging. And so by doing the drone work that you're doing and bringing your art to the attention of the average person who can't make it out there, I think that's really impactful. So thank you for the work that you do. Oh, thanks. And ecologically, too, to have big tracts of land where you can have species move from place to place easier and you're not confining them to small areas is really important. And that's really a good point because I think of Equimay as another one of these corridors. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look at a map. And you see Mojave National Preserve, and then Avikwame, and then Lake Mead, and then uh, Grand Canyon, and then Parishon. I mean, everything will just, you know, you could have something like a mountain lion that could travel really long distances um, to make new range, or something like bighorn sheep could go to different mountain ranges. It's pretty incredible. It is. Had you read, I believe it's Howie, Howie Wilkie. Hmm. Um, he wrote a book, Wilderness on the Rocks. No, uh-uh. Okay, and he wrote it. Most of it, he wrote it while he was in jail in Wyoming because he was kind of doing what what Abby would do. He would go pull up stakes. So, so they'd go stake out a yep. road, and he would pull it up. And, and his thing about wilderness on the rocks was it wasn't that wilderness was on the rocks. It was that wilderness that we were designating wilderness areas that were mountains. And, and we were isolating those, and we weren't connecting them. So there was these rocky areas that were wilderness, but the animals, like, they couldn't traverse between the wilderness areas. The book I mentioned, Wilderness on the Rocks, was written by Hallie Wolk, W-O-L-K-E, published in 1991. It's a good read if you live out west and respect our public lands. And it's hard now because we have all, you know, everybody would love to go to renewable energy. 
So things like solar and wind. So it's, you know, we're going to have to decide what's important. Energy issues, land issues, is there a way that we can have both, that we can have big tracts of land and maybe utilize areas that have already been disrupted, maybe old mine sites or old development areas for wind or solar, or, or perhaps put them on rooftops. That's what I was thinking. We need to have more of it in the urban environment where it's already disturbed. Put it on the roofs. Put it, make everybody have a piece of that pie and and participate by providing those spaces. Yeah. And there are a lot of rooftops. There are, yeah. Because it bothers me somewhat to see, and and I'm looking at uh, the Mojave up towards my house where they're putting the big solar. What do the turtles do? And they're being relocated. Well, in the plant species. And if you look at Nevada, we're not well researched either. We don't, there's a lot of things we don't know yet. There's insects that haven't been discovered, plants that haven't been discovered, and we could be bulldozing the areas that they're in and not even know it if, you know, we don't spend more time assessing what we have here or archaeological sites as Mm -hmm. well. So I think it's all a matter of progress, balancing with preservation, balancing with our needs. That's always really important to, to look at all of those and not just one on its own. Well, we need creative solutions. We can't just all be on one side and have the other people on the other side. We've got to figure out ways to work together and make things work for all of us that kind of solves both problems. And I think there's compromise. We're smart. We're smart. We can figure this out as a race. We can do it. Paul, what keeps you up at night as far as our lands out west? Oh, just what we're talking about. Development, just for development's sake, really thinking through the process, thinking through the lands that we're going through. I mentioned I worked at the Walking Box Ranch. There was repeatedly there's been um, the threat of wind within view shed there. And um, that's a, you know, there's a golden eagles in that area. There's a lot of other, you know, sensitive species. It's a important bird area with Audubon Society. Got the largest, the most robust um, Joshua tree forest in the world, really. You know, Joshua Tree National Park, they have Joshua trees, but they're not looking so good. Um, This area has got, you know, really robust, healthy Joshua tree forests, and we want to try and maintain that. And I think just looking long-term, this isn't about like I said, my generation, my kids' generation is long-term. How can we maintain these areas for people for generations and generations to come? Yeah, and I also like to look at it, we're not maintaining it just for people. Yes. We're, we're maintaining it for the critters who live out there. We may not always be here, but we yep. need to think of them. And turning that question around, what excites you about the future? Well, it's interesting because I went to college in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is pretty granola and pretty progressive environmentally. And when I moved to Vegas, I was kind of in shock of the waste and the development. And this is where the jobs were. So I came because I graduated college. I needed a job. I feel like we're kind of catching up a little bit now here in Nevada that people are realizing that, you know, we're, we have some really neat things here. Like, I know you guys just went up to the um, cowboy poetry event that was here. Like, we have some cultures that are really significant here. We've got a really rich Native American community in Nevada. We've got ecological significant areas. This is a really special place. And every time I visit another place, I'm excited to go see something different. But I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to get back to Nevada where I can get some open space around me and enjoy myself outside. Paula, with your interest in preserving our natural resources and our open spaces, how do you feel about the land art movement in the past? And if there's a future in that 
for the area art community? Well, I feel like um, what happened in the past for one, really brought some attention to open spaces and show that we still had places in the United States that were open, that were wilderness, were wild still. So I really appreciate that. I appreciate being able to see some of these things on a such a big scale, like double negative, just to really think about, wow, making an art piece that actually takes up part of a mesa is pretty amazing. I just, I think we need to think a little bit about doing things at that scale now just because our populations have increased. We have a lot of people here. We don't necessarily want to um, dig up all the pristine land that we have and wilderness that we have, but I appreciate what has been done. I think there's maybe other ways that we can do it now on a large scale with newer technology and kind of newer viewpoints now. And maybe less of a a long-term impact because a lot of these pieces granted their part of their lifespan is being reclaimed by the natural processes but because they're on such a large scale and it has been over 50 years we can still see them thinking of that long-term impact to the environment not just visually to the environment but to the creatures and and everything else yep absolutely Well, this has been an amazing chat with you. I'm so happy you were able to join us at the Barrick Museum to talk about your participation in this project and a little bit about your background. Well, thank you, guys. It was great to see you you again and to talk about it and to see the exhibit. And we'll be back here on the 24th. That sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Yes, thank you. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.